1: Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamatchko. I'm joined by my co host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome a special guest, Matthew Tuttle, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management. Now, Tuttle Capital Management is an industry leader in offering thematic and actively managed ETFs. On the show, Matthew discusses his outlook on the current market environment and asset allocation, how to play pre-deal SPACs and de trend following, FOMO, and tail risk strategies, his top investment pick for the next decade, and more. So with no further ado, here's our podcast with Matthew Tuttle, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management. Hey, Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you on the show today to talk about all thing markets and what's going on out there, ETF land, SPACs, of course, and some additional investment strategies that you're offering to investors. But before we get into all the good investing stuff and what's going on in the current market environment, I mean, you've been in this business, the investing business for over 20 years, financial services. You had a stint in fixed income sales at Bear Stearns in the late 1990s. Could you walk us a bit through your career and the background of Tuttle capital management and what you're up to there?
2: Yeah. So in, in, at the risk of dating myself, it's actually more like 30 years. Oh, nice. Um, started. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of an old fart. Uh, <laughs> started out uh, in working for a division of State Street Bank. And, you know, working in, uh, with closed-end funds for the most part. And, you know, always planned on kind of being there, getting an MBA part-time, going to work, and being a mutual fund manager. Yeah. And unfortunately, they kept promoting me, and I never had time for, for business school. Uh, finally decided the only way I was going to do it was just pull the plug, left, went, got my MBA full-time went to work for Bear Stearns and fixed income sales. I hated it. Uh, it just, you know, looking back, I realized it just wasn't entrepreneurial in any way, shape, or form. What did you hate about it? Was Anyone it just else? too
1: constrained or?
2: Don't... Yeah. I, I mean, you know, basically just, I, I, I didn't know at the time, but I am an entrepreneurial type of person. I can't have a boss. And, you know, I had, three bosses who took the idea of being a boss very seriously. Right. And I, I bristled against that again. I didn't realize that at the time. I mean, looking back on it, it's like, Oh yeah, I, mean, I can't work for anyone. And I was working for three people uh, who all were very opinionated about things. Uh, so that didn't turn out that well. I then went to work for a couple of different uh, brokerage firms, was really appalled by what passed for financial advice, um, tried a couple of different insurance companies, was equally appalled at at what passed for financial advice. Um, didn't really realize there was another route to things and In 2003, a friend of mine gave me a book, a step-by-step guide to setting up your own RIA. I read it, and within a couple of weeks, I had my own RIA. Um, That was 2003. By around 2012, we started having other wealth... So we were in the wealth management business. We started having other wealth managers come to us and say, hey, we see what you're doing. You know, on the money management side of things, could you do that for us and be kind of our outsourced chief investment officer? Yeah. And I said, fine. And but one of them said, you know, look, Matt, we're, we're kind of right down the street from each other. I'm sort of uncomfortable, given you're a competitor. I said, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll set up a money management arm. You go to the website, it won't say anything about wealth management. They were right. cool with that. Fast forward a couple of years later, I mean, we're, we've we always been pretty active in, in our trading, was really bristling at trading through custodial platforms, the Fidelities, the Schwab's, the TD's. So someone gave us the idea of, hey, why don't you just start ETFs? Right. That way you can trade with what any broker you want. But that sounds like a great idea. So we started launching ETFs. Um, eventually got rid of our wealth management business. We ended up giving it to, to one of our ETF clients. And we've been launching ETFs for ourselves. Then we started having other people coming to us saying, hey, can you launch ETFs for us? Yeah, we can do that too. And that's kind of where we are. So today we've got you know 10 ETFs that are out there right now in the marketplace. We've got another seven or so in various forms of registration. And then there's another three that will be coming fairly shortly. So by the end of the year, we should have at least 20 ETFs out there and maybe more. And now a
1: word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
3: So obviously, I mean... Your your business model is is in structuring ETFs. What this has been a a prevailing trend over the last number of years. What's really what, in your opinion, what's really driving the move from mutual funds to ETFs? And just to add context to that, in in Canada, that's happening to some extent, but in a, a far less to a far lesser extent than in the U.S. What's what's really driving that in the U.S.?
2: there there's a lot of things there you know one is fees. you know your actively managed mutual fund typically is going to cost it's definitely going to cost more than an index etf it is typically going to cost more than an actively managed etf you know number 2 is the fact that you know most actively managed etfs here don't beat the s&p 500 so it's kind of you know. So I'm paying one and a half percent to not beat something that I could pay nine basis points for. That doesn't make sense. Uh, there's the tax efficiency of ETFs. You know the things ETF managers can do to to mitigate capital gains taxes you can't do in a mutual fund. There's the fact you can trade ETFs intraday. You don't have you know 60 day holds on ETFs. I can buy you know, an ETF in the morning and sell it in the afternoon and buy it back later in the day and no one's going to yell at me. And then what you've really had since COVID is you've had this kind of striation in in, in the US market where people are kind of flowing towards core and satellite, where they're looking at, you know, the cheap beta as the core of their portfolio. And then what they're looking for is they're looking for thematic stuff to go around the cheap beta and that kind of leaves your, your average kind of active index hugging mutual fund manager. I mean, they, they just, they don't fit into that model at all. Right. So I I really do think, I mean, mutual funds are an endangered species here.
1: Yeah. It seems like that, that, is the case. You see it in the fund flows each and every month and quarter and year, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse. But getting into the the money management side, obviously ETFs have been a massive growth area. You got 10 in the market, a number in the hopper that should be up shortly. I wanted to understand what are your thoughts on the current market environment, Very low bond yields. Investors having a real tough time generating that income that they like. And then on the equity side, specifically U.S. equities, sky high valuations. What's an investor to do?
2: So a lot of different things. I mean, what what you're seeing and like you know the past couple of days are a great example. There is no alternative. Right. You know, markets sold off on Monday. Everyone in the media. Oh my God. beginning at the end, correction, everything's going, everything's gonna blow up. And you know, now we're back higher than we were to begin with. And there really there is no alternative. Interest rates are still extremely low. The economy is recovering. Things are, you know, things are getting back to normal slowly but surely, earnings are are blowouts. So Really, what's an investor to do is kind of what they're doing, you know. Put cheap beta in, in in the core of your portfolio. Put some thematic stuff around it. Have some tail risk protection. Right. And you know, on the on the bond side, look at absolute return types of bond strategies, or just replace bonds entirely with you know tail risk or. Or, or SPACs, you know, things of that nature because, and you know, I mean, treasury bonds here don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me from a from a longer-term investor standpoint.
1: Oh, totally. And you hear that each and every day, oh, these treasury yields are way too low. How the heck can I generate income? And you mentioned, you know, SPACs or these other sort of alternative asset classes. And one method of doing that and specifically looking at your product shelf, you have strategies focused on both pre-deal SPACs and d spacs including both long and short, which is a super interesting way of uh, taking a crack at it. What are your thoughts on, first, I got a number of questions on SPACs, so first, what are your thoughts on the pre-deal SPAC market? How are you looking at that part of the asset class?
2: So the pre-deal SPAC market is, Settling in to where it's supposed to be. Right. Earlier in the year, you had you know the the Reddit guys, the Wall Street bet guys, jumping in, thinking that pre merger specs were were like AMC and GameStop and,
1: <laughs> and Dogecoin too. And,
2: and yeah, you know, and yeah, I mean, and you and I know they're not. I mean, you know, what should ten dollars in trust? With an experienced management team looking for a deal, what should it be trading for? You mm-hmm. know, I don't mm-hmm. know. Should it be trading for twenty or thirty? I would argue it shouldn't. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you were seeing some of this ridiculous stuff out there, and then you know, CCIV kind of was the uh, w- 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 put put an end to all that. But now, what you're seeing is back settling in. To what they should be, which is an event-driven strategy that has low correlation to stocks and bonds that fits into pretty much any investor's portfolio for a you know 10 to 20% piece. You know, and I would argue it fits in a lot like people are using merger arbitrage funds here. Yeah. But yep. I would argue that. You know, a well-run stack strategy has more potential upside than merger arbitrage does. And I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got one of my analysts writing a paper on this, and I just kind of looked back. I mean, our fund wasn't around during COVID, but I just said, you know, hey, what if we, we took a portfolio of stacks and owned them? And I think during the COVID crisis, we would have lost 2% and i ran like the biggest merger rbtf down here and it would have lost like 20. Yeah. So, i mean, to me, yeah, i i you know, da- down 2 is a whole lot better if you're putting in something diversified into your portfolio than, you know, down 20. So, you know, i'm i really am positive on the pre-merger SPAC marketplace is is something that you know can benefit every investor's portfolio i mean that being said are there too many stacks chasing too few deals yeah you know or 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 a lot of these deals going to be awful probably so you know it's not as simple and and nothing ever is just hey i'm going to buy a bunch you you need a you need an actively managed strategy that's looking at valuations looking at management teams, looking at track records. But if you do that, I mean, I I think pre-merger stacks are a great strategy.
1: And you really hit the nail on the head with respect to the low risk profile and the uncorrelated nature, low drawdown risk, as long, and this is the most important piece of it, as long as they're buying at the right price. And, And so investors should certainly be aware of your warning, and we try to give the same warning. You don't want to pay insane prices for you know, $10 and change of cash and trust you know, for a potential deal and a dream, as it may be. Now, you indicated uh, many, many SPACs out there. Of course, there's nearly 600, a lot of business combinations getting announced. Now, you guys have plays on both the long and short side of the D-SPACs. What are your thoughts on this market and, and how do you approach it?
2: So the D SPAC market, you know, so to me the pre-merger stuff, I mean, it's it's kind of sodgy and boring. Yep. I mean, I love it, but compared to the D SPAC market, I mean the D SPAC market, that's interesting stuff.
1: It's the Wild West. I mean,
2: you know, you turn yeah, <laughs> you turn on CNBC every day, they're they're talking about at least one. You know, one d back company. You know, Clover, Lordstown Motors, Quantum Scape, Sofi. I mean, you know, on, on, and on. So there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and and I don't find myself agreeing with Jim Cramer a ton. <laughs> but I remember he said something along the lines of, "Hey, just buy a portfolio of these d back companies, put it away, don't look at it. I mean, don't make it a big part of your portfolio." But you know. But, you know, take a small part of your portfolio, buy a bunch of these D-SPACs, put it away, don't look at it. And some of them are zeros, but some of them are going to go up so much that, you know, it's going to more than offset the ones that go to zero. And and I think that makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of companies that, you know, are in the extreme early stages that you can get access to. Here. And I mean, you know, who knows? There could be the next Tesla, there could be the next Amazon, there could be the next whatever in here. Also, with the understanding that, you know, this is pre revenue stuff for the most part. It's going to be a wild ride. And some of them are are, are zeros. But we really built the, the long side DSPC to. For someone to be able to say, "All right, look, I'm going to put two, three percent of my portfolio in it, and I'm going to shove it away, and I'm not going to look at it." And you don't want to look at it because this stuff is this stuff is a wild ride. Yeah, volatile. So, the short side, we really built more because we were talking to a lot of institutions about our stack strategy, and you know, and they loved it. And people kept saying, you know, hey, we're we're trying to short some of these d stacks and it, it's a pain in the butt. You know, they're hard to borrow. You get short squeezes. I mean, you know, Clover a couple of weeks ago was up like 93% in a day. Insanely. I mean, if you were trying to, if you were short that, I mean, that that wouldn't have been a really good day for you. <laughs> so we said, all right, you know what? There's a lot of demand out there to short these companies. And why don't we create a product around that? So we did the work and it's, it's a lot of work, uh, but it, you know, it, 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 was worth it. I mean, the fund's been pretty popular. Uh, last time I looked, it was the top performing ETF month to date. I mean, before today it was up like 20% or something for the first three weeks of the month.
1: Hmm.
2: So, you know, again, it, yeah, I mean, it's an index that's that's gonna move in deep back that a really bad month. So um you know that's why we built that so that people could, you know, and there are a lot of people who want to short these names who can't short. I've heard from people, you know, hey, I'm trying to buy puts, and my broker's giving me a hard time. So we just wanted to make it make it easy for people. You don't have to worry about short squeezes. You know you buy one thing, you can pretty much buy it anywhere. So that's the idea behind the d product. And now a word from
1: our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol one c ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies, and one easy-to-use, one-choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
3: Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, on the long side, certainly very similar to VC type investing, where, you know, you're looking for a few names to basically return the fund in a VC fund in their LP structure. Um, But then as well with both the long and short, um, investors can even build their own long short strategy with the funds, which which is quite interesting. When you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I guess You've talked about a few individual elements of the SPAC market. Do you have any additional views on the entirety uh, of the SPAC ecosystem moving forward?
2: So, I mean, obviously, the SEC, you know, put a speed bump in there, and you know, things haven't totally come back from that. Um, we're in a much better spot than we were a couple of months ago. You know, IPOs are coming back yeah you know, deals are going through. Um, you know, but you've still got you know a bunch of facts creating under ten some well under ten. so you know we're we're not back there yet. There's still a stigma. I don't think yet that the retail and the advisory community have caught on to kind of you know, hey look these these aren't a mean stock. these are. You know, a, a non-correlated event-driven asset class that actually do belong in your portfolio. You know, brokerage firms, a lot of them down here still won't allow people to buy SPACs. You know, they'll allow you to buy you know AMC and game stuff, but you can't buy you know SPACs that's trading at nine eighty that has ten dollars in trust because oh no, that that's too risky, Mr. Hmm. Client. So you know, there, there's still that stigma. There's still kind of that lack of understanding, you know, and I think a lot of times the media does a really poor job of, you know, everything is a SPAC. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I watch, I'm watching TV and someone's saying, oh, the SPAC market's getting killed today. Look at Lordstown Motors. Like, dude, that's not a <laughs> SPAC. It's a D-SPAC. Yeah. And, and I'm looking at SPCX and I'm like, no, we're having a good day today. The stock market is not getting killed. Town Motors is getting killed because it, they make no money, and, and there's some weird stuff going on with their financial statements. That has nothing to do with the stock market. So you 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 still have these misconceptions out there that you know. Hopefully one day will uh, will uh, you know this will be just a normal thing that you know that people uh, <laughs> don't have those misconceptions about. So, you know, we're, we're constructive on the market. I like where it is now versus where it was a couple of months ago. And I do like where it is now versus where it was in February. Because, I mean, you know, we didn't have really anything to buy
1: exactly. back in
2: February. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at this stuff like, right? yeah. you know, it's a good management team. These guys have a good track record. We love what they're doing, but we're not going to buy this for 16 It just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, and that was a difficult time to allocate capital because every SPAC was trading at a premium, and IPO allocations were tough to come by, given every single deal was basically 20x oversubscribed with the uh, millenniums and oh, yeah. citadels I mean, we were, of the world. We coming were in offering
2: for, our firstborn kids to get <laughs> allocations and IPOs, and you know now brokers call us for IPOs, and we don't answer the phone. <laughs> I'll just buy it at nine ninety when it trades in the secondary market. No doubt. I mean, well, you know, why am I going to get it at 10
1: For sure. And moving beyond SPACs, I mean, you have a, a number of strategy, pre-deal or de-SPACs, but you have some additional asset classes that you take a look at. I was interested, one caught my eye, FOMO. How does that strategy work?
2: So what FOMO is, is kind of our answer to what's going on in thematic investing. So, you know, the way... So, I mean, money is flowing into it. I mean, people want this stuff, but the way it's being done, I I just, I I think is wrong. So what people will do is, well, all right, we'll we'll slap an index on something like, you know, fuel cells or solar, you know, or, or social media buzz. I mean, you name it, we'll slap an index on it, we'll rebalance it infrequently, we'll have large holdings and some individual stocks that, you know, if we hit, pump the return up a lot. But mm-hmm. if they go down, that sort of sucks the other way. And yeah, and I just, you know, I thought that, you know, A, that was just way too rigid and B, way too risky. And C, you weren't rebalancing frequently enough to stay in harm. So what we do in FOMO is we start off with kind of a, the universe of what should be in FOMO. And that can be a moving target. So I mean, right now, to me, it's stuff that's popular with retail guys. It's stuff that's popular with hedge funds, and it's innovative technology. Six months from now, maybe it's going to be something else. You know, who knows? May, or, you know, maybe inflation plays will get in there. Maybe infrastructure will get in there. You know, right now we we capture that with the hedge fund and the retail stuff, but that can be a moving target. So we can change as society changes, whereas if I'm stuck in an index, you know, the index is the index. Then what we do is we're looking to stay in harmony with kind of the trend. So we're, we we kind of split the basket in two and half of it, we're looking for the stocks that are in the strongest uptrend. And the other half of it, we're saying, all right, give us the stocks that have been in the strongest uptrend, but have recently sold off because of all I did was just had a group of, you know, the, the momentum stocks. most of the time, that's great. Every once in a while, they take the momentum stocks out and they shoot them yep. and they go down a lot. It, but when that happens, where does the money go? The money goes into what had been hot, but has been selling off recently. So, what I found is by including kind of this counter trend analysis in what we do, it really ends up smoothing out the return. And then we'll do our analysis on a a weekly basis. So, we're able to really stay in harmony with what's going on in the market. So, you know, if I'm buying into, you know, AMC at the beginning of the month, and AMC is really, you know, the, all the the Wall Street bet guys are off to something else, and now AMC starts trading on fundamentals. I don't have to wait a whole month, or a quarter, or six months to get out of it. You know, we'll be out of it. All right, fine. I got into it Monday. You know what? I'm I'm out of it next month.
1: Now, with respect to diversification and asset allocation, most investors obviously own stocks. Some will diversify with. The- With bonds, but obviously just two asset classes, that really isn't diversification, which includes theoretically uncorrelated assets or even negatively correlated assets. One strategy that uh, I'm a fan of is that of tail risk, which is Theoretically, negatively correlated can do well when the market sells off, typically a tough sell when beta is working so well, but then it becomes very popular after the market crashes. I understand you have a tail risk strategy. I was wondering, how does it work and how should investors use it? So what we're
2: trying to do there, so that's our FAT-T ETF. And what we're trying to do there is have what I would call positive carry tail risk. Right. The problem that you've had with tail risk strategies in the past is they bleed and they bleed a lot. So, you know, the story coming out of 2008 was, hey, Mr. Portfolio Manager, put this in your portfolio because you don't know when a tail risk event is going to happen. It's going to cost you three to four percent a year. But if we have another 2008 again, man, you're going to be a hero. Yeah. So, all right, great. I had a near-death experience in 2008. Sounds good. I'll give up return. And we don't have another 2008. So, I mean, I saw a story that CalPERS and actually some pension fund in Canada had tail risk strategies that they got rid of in February 2020, right before the COVID crash because they couldn't handle the bleed anymore. (laughs) So the idea behind Fat T is we want the ability to make money the 99% of the time the market's going up. Not a lot. I mean, if the market's up 30, if if fat p's up five, I'm I'm a happy guy. You know that that's kind of the goal. And then in a crash, you know, like a COVID event, the 2008, the goal is to make as much on the downside or on the upside as the market is down. And so how we do that is we go long volatility. We own volatility in the portfolio because if you think about your typical investor's portfolio, everything they own goes down when volatility goes up or almost everything they own. So when we're looking at kind of negative correlation, how, how can we guarantee so we've got something in a portfolio that's going to go up when volatility goes up, and that's owning volatility. And then we cut it by owning index ETFs. And the idea is that while the market's going up, the index ETFs are going up, obviously, and the volatility is bleeding to the downside. So we're getting some upside, which you know is being cut into somewhat by the volatility. When volatility spikes it goes up way more than the indexes go down. So for example, during COVID, if you owned a a VIX exchange traded product, at one point you were up 300% Mm. when the market was down like 30. So that gives you kind of the difference So the way the portfolio is managed is our volatility position moves up and down. We'll always own some volatility, but it's going to move up and down based on kind of what's going on in the market. So, all of last week, we were slowly buying volatility. And now, as the market is selling off, we're now bringing that volatility position back down.
3: So, you spoke a little bit about your background at, at the beginning, but I was curious who have been some of the important mentors that you've had throughout your career?
2: So, really, two important ones early on i had a a business school professor professor heisler who yeah i I will never forget he's teaching you know modern portfolio theory and we're going through and constructing optimizers and all this stuff and and we got to know each other and he he pulled me aside one day he's like look i'm only teaching this stuff because i have to you know all of this stuff is is bull, you know, n- none of it really works. It's garbage in, garbage out. And he was telling me how he developed, you know, an adaptive moving average crossover system to trade currencies that he ended up selling to a hedge fund. So I I, I was fascinated by that. I went home. And, I mean, this was like mid nineties. So I I I'm pretty sure I had Excel. I had access to some data. So I just kind of, well, you know, how would I try to construct this? And I basically constructed an adaptive moving average crossover system, applied it to a series on the British pound. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I mean, this gets you in when it starts going up and it gets you out as it starts to go down. This is great. I mean, that was just fascinating. And then later on, a guy, Murray Ruggiero Jr., smartest guy I've ever met, maybe the smartest guy on the planet you know he was designing neural networks back before people knew what neural networks were, worked with a lot of kind of the famous people in the trading community, knew everything about kind of technicals and intermarket analysis, just a complete genius unfortunately passed away a, you know, a couple of weeks ago but his uh his son who was was on the line earlier thinking that this was a call he had to be on is actually my my head trader. So, um, so I, I think those are the two biggest influences I've had.
1: All right, great. And Matthew, prior to wrapping things up, I got one last question for you. If you could hold just one investment for the next decade, what would it be and why?
2: One investment for the next decade? Yeah. Oh... Uh, I, I would say for the next decade it would be DSPC, our our, our long DSPAC. As long as I didn't have to look at it <laughs> intraday, I think ten years from now that's going to be ridiculous. But yeah, not looking at it is is the case. Yeah. As long put- as I don't have to look at it ten years from now, that that thing's going to be a marvel.
1: Putting those DSPAC in a lockbox and not opening it for a decade—it's uh. Tough to egg, do, but if, egg, you,
2: if egg, you can egg, do it, then. Yeah, I mean, can... it's, it's down 18% this month. So yeah, it's, you, you you can't look at it day to day.
1: Yeah, those things. So 10
2: years from now, yeah, totally.
1: They certainly are volatile. So where can investors find out more? You got social media, website. What else you got going on?
2: Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Tuttlecap. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, our website, Tuttlecap, uh, dot com. Uh, you know that you can find me in any of those places.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much, Matthew, for coming on the show. Interested in hearing your market insights, SPACs, FOMO, tail risk, and more. So we wish you the best, and we'll keep in touch.
2: All right. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.